experience in the house of the Lord. Amen. Don't you love these uh, beautiful images? This is Montana in America. Beautiful photos of Montana in the, in the summer and in the, in the winter. I love God's nature, yes? And I love the God of nature. The one who created everything. And He made it so beautiful. And to think this morning that you were created in His likeness and in His image. Way better and way more beautiful. I think if God looks down from heaven upon what He's created, and you see all of this beauty, you see that's so beautiful, and He puts you down here next to the signpost. This is only me talking, okay? This is no theology behind this. And He calls all the angels together and He says, Look at this beautiful picture. And everybody goes, Woo, ah! He says, But the most beautiful of all is that man or woman standing next to that signpost. You are way more beautiful in His sight than anything else that He created. He says it Himself. You are created in His likeness and in His image. Amen? Never forget that. You are important. When my brother John was talking over the table, he was talking about power. That's what he was talking about. That's what I heard. If you look around the world now, everybody wants to control something, isn't it? Chinese wants to control Hong Kong. What do we see? People kick against it. We don't want to be controlled, but they want to have power and authority over them. If you look at the war that's going in in Turkey and in Syria and these things, it's people who want to have control over others. It's about power. That never stopped. That's always been part of this world. People want to control other people. People want to walk around and say, I've got authority over you. I control you. I've got the power. And you know what? We stand this morning and we look at the Son of God, the Son of Man, who has way more power and authority about anything upon the face of the earth. That's it. That is the message. Way more. When I started to pray this morning, I said, Lord, where shall we go? Where can we go? There's no one else in this world that we can go to that will take you out of a particular, peculiar situation in your life. No one else. If you're in financial trouble, I know you run to the bank and to your friends to loan money and to do all of these kind of things. But you know what? If you go to Him, He will not only help you in that situation, but He will set your account right. In sickness and pain, we run to the doctors, and we should. I mean, I went to the doctor twice or three times now over the last four weeks. And he gave me a lot of medicine and pills, and I drink them, and look, I'm still the same. <laughs> but here's the thing. We come to him who touches us, and he heals us on the inside. And this is what we're going to see today. Over the last few weeks, we saw the authority of Jesus Christ and the power that he exists, that he has. Over disease. You remember the old poor leper man who came to him? The man who was the outcast of society, who was stinking, he was rotting. People say, I don't want to talk to that person, he's just bad. How many times have people said that about you? Oh, we don't want to mix with that group. We don't want to mix with her. We don't want to mix with him. And Jesus come and he do something special. He walks up and he touches the man. He touches him. And what happened? Power went from him 
into that man and healed that man. He's got power over that. Today we're going to see and learn that Jesus has got power over sin. Now when we start talking about what the world is looking for today, is they want to control nations and people. But there's nobody upon the face of the earth today who can do what you're going to hear today. Nobody. This is so special. This is so great what you're going to hear today. This is a true miracle. If you think about miracles in your life, this outshines every other miracle that you can ever think of. You say, but I read the account of somebody who was raised from the dead. That surely is a big miracle. Yes, but that person will die again. But this miracle outshines them all. And let me say to you again, it is nobody today upon the face of the earth, a man who can do what you're going to hear today. No power. The scientist hasn't got a, a module or an or a, uh, antibiotic or something which they can inject you with and say, from here on, your sins are you're forgiven. The science hasn't got it. Let me say to you, the priest who stand up there in the Roman church and says, your sins are you're forgiven, he's got no power to do that. I grew up in a church who believes in priests. And every Sunday the priest will stand up in church, he will raise his hands and he says, your sins are you forgiven. He's just but a liar. Because he hasn't got the power to do that. There is only one and you're going to hear about him today. You're going to see that happening. You say, what has that got to do with me? Everything, brother and sister. Everything. This should excite you this morning. Out of all of the sermons that I've preached in my life, you should be so excited hearing and seeing what you're going to see today, that Jesus Christ has power over sin. This is what Mark tells us. When we study the Gospel of Mark, he tells us who Jesus is. He's the Son of Man, the Son of God. And then he tells us why he came. This is one of the reasons. So we open up this morning in Mark chapter 2, and we read in verse 1, he says, And again he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. After some days, he came back to Capernaum. In fact, he made Capernaum his headquarters. He moved into Capernaum, and the reason for that is, is because in Nazareth, they didn't believe in him. It's because of the unbelief in Nazareth where he was born. One would think where you are born, that becomes your headquarters. That becomes the place where you start ministering from. But not so with Jesus. And what do we learn out of this? Sometimes we've got an idea of how things should work. But you know it doesn't work that way, do you? You see, I've got my plans. Every Sunday I come here and I've got my plans how the service should run. And then it doesn't run that way. Because I've got a plan and God has got a plan. Isn't that right? You wake up in the morning and you say, this is what's going to happen today. And it happens differently. I turn up to fly on an airplane and I say, this is the time I want to go. And then what happens? He gets delayed. And I get frustrated. But you see, we need to remember that our plans are not God's plans. His plans are not our plans. And what happens every single time His plans prevail, there is success. There is success when these plans prevail, and we need to understand that. Now one would say, Jesus, why not in Nazareth? Well, there's a lot of unbelief there, so he moved into Capernaum. But not only that, if you look at it, it was very strategic. 
Why Capernaum? Because this became the main highway for caravans that moved between Damascus and Egypt. Caravans back in the days were the camels and they were the trade routes. So what happened on these roads? Lots of people. What a brilliant opportunity. If you look at this, he would say, oh, what a disaster. His people rejected him and some people will go and they will cry about this and they will be unhappy and say, oh, I'm not loved by my people, but not Jesus. He moves into Damascus, uh, into Capernaum, and he's now in this brilliant pathway of caravans coming past. Think of this. If somebody hear the gospel on a caravan, they go into the next city and they can spread the gospel. So never ever when your plans are misdirected according to you, never ever think it's misdirected. Put it into the hands of God and say, Father, you know best. You know what I don't know. And this is the important part. So don't get upset about it when it happens. So we see here, he says, he entered into Capernaum after some days. And now it says that he entered the house. You see, this was a house. It wasn't a fancy palace. It was a humble place. And I want to highlight and bring it out here specifically. Because these days when we look at churches, we think about brilliant big buildings and it's got to have a good sound system and it's got to have smoke machines and it's got to have dimming lights and all of these things before God turns up on the scene. It doesn't work that way. We cannot build for God a house here on the earth where He's going to come and dwell. That happened in the temple. The Bible says now that we are, this body is the temple of God. He enters into this house. A humble house. And you know what I think always? Where the king is, that is where the court is. Isn't that right? Where the king is, that is where the court gathers, where the people gather. And here the king walks into the house, and what happens? The people gathers unto the house. They didn't go to the synagogues. Yes, we find that Jesus at some state went to the synagogue. But for now, the news is out. The Messiah or Jesus Christ. They didn't know him as the Messiah then. Jesus is in the house. I find it fascinating when I read in Genesis chapter 49.10. He says that the shepherd shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet. Listen to this now. He says, until Silo. Who's Silo? It's another name for Jesus Christ. Look, even in Genesis, it was prophesying forward into the future. He says, until Silo comes, and to him shall be the gathering of the people be. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for that. You know what I see? I think if Jesus moves into Capernaum, the news starts spreading amongst the people. And what do they say? What do they say in the streets and in the highways? They say, come let us go to Jesus. Come let us go to Jesus. Come with me to Jesus. Where is Jesus? Oh, he's in this house. And they go to Jesus where he's in the house. He says, until Silo comes, unto him shall the gathering of the people be. And now Jesus enters into the house and he sits down. And it's fascinating for me. Remember last week I said that Jesus didn't come to be a miracle maker, the miracle healer. The world is, is, is pushing him out into the world now. They put up banners everywhere and say, healing service, bring all the sick. He didn't advertise that, did he? 
Now, did he? No. He went into the house, and people came to see him. And when he went into the house, he sat down. When he sat down, the people sat down. And he's now in the seat of authority. And what does he do in that seat of authority? He opens up his mouth, and he preaches the gospel. It is about the soul. It is about the soul. I say it again. He's not the miracle healer. Yeah, but wait a minute, preacher. He healed the man. You, you just said to us now that he healed the leper man. Isn't he a miracle healer? Miracles did happen. But he didn't come to be the miracle healer. He came to take sin away out of the world to save you from your sin. He came to heal your soul. This is important to understand. He wasn't in the streets. And another thing that I see in this verse is, in those days when they come to a house and the house door is open, that's an invitation. In the Western world, what happens? All our doors are closed, isn't it? I mean, if I come to your place, Brett and Roman, and your door is closed, what do I do? I knock on the door. If the door stays closed, where am I? Outside. And if you come and you open up the door, what does it mean? Come in. In there, times, the doors, if the door is open, you can just walk in. It's an invitation. I know what we do out of respect. If I come to your place and the door stands open, what do I do? I still knock. And then I shout out, somebody home? What do I do when I do that? I take the first step, isn't it? Especially when it's family, isn't it right? You just walk in, you go, somebody home? And you walk into the place. Here we find, he says, he went in and he was in the house and the door was open. Let me say to you, brother and sister, his door is still open. His door is still open. I love this song. I love this song. There is room at the cross for you. Who knows that song? There is room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. There is room at the cross for you. Do you like that? I want to tell you this morning that there's still room at the cross for you. You see, I can preach on this verse today because I believe the Holy Spirit will speak in your heart. You say, but... Preacher, you don't know me. You don't know how bad I am. You don't know all the things I've done. The things I just said this last week. The people I've upset at this last week. I feel so guilty and bad about it. Is that anything written about that there? No. He says, they said, let us go to Jesus. Come unto Jesus. His door is still open. <clears throat> then in verse 2 he says, and immediately, there is our man Mark's word again, many gathered <coughs> together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. You see, he preached the word to them. Jesus used every opportunity to preach the gospel. And so you and I need to use every opportunity to preach the gospel. You say to me, but I'm not a preacher. You say to me that I can't stand in the street and stand on a little box and preach. That's not what he's asking for. That's not what he did. 
He didn't say that he walked into the street and stood on a little box and started shouting to the crowd. Is that saying it? No. What draw them? Jesus draw them. If you want to go and, and, and preach the gospel, if you've got Jesus in your life, what's going to draw people? He's going to draw them. You say, but how? How you live your life. People will come to you and say, we've been looking at you. We've been observing you. What is it that you have? Why are you always so peaceful? Well, now that you've asked, let me tell you. Come into the house, sit down. Why? Because Jesus is here. Am I Jesus? Am I a Messiah? No, but He lives surely through me. Because the Bible says He's in me, and He's with me forever. And here we find it, that He preached the word to them. The, preach that he, the word that He used in, in Greek there is the word logos. It is the written word. Now, just to excite you, where do we find that word as well? In John <coughs> chapter 1, verse 1. What does it say? In the beginning was the word, the logos, the written word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. Amen. So he preached to them the logos. Now, let's continue the narrative. In verse 3, he says, Then they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they laid down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. Now we all know this story, don't we? <coughs> We've heard this a few times. I want to take you through the narrative. Here is four men. They've got a paralytic man there. Paralytic means he can't walk. It doesn't say which side. He can't walk. He's just lying on his bed every day. And these four men brings him to Jesus. What can we see out of these four men? What is the trademarks that we can see? First of all, we see with these men compassion. <clears throat> compassion. They went out to their way to help, even if it hurt them. We've heard it this morning. What is a sacrifice? A sacrifice is something that, will, that you will feel it hurts. You haven't given until when you give it hurts to give. And these men, they took their own time. They had compassion on this friend who was lying there from day to day. They looked beyond their needs. They looked beyond themselves and said, we want to bring this man to Jesus. It takes compassion to do that. They picked him up. They carried him. No doubt it put strain on their bodies. It hurts their legs, their arms. It doesn't say what the distance was that they had to travel to get him there. But they, they had compassion. And compassion will drive you. The compassion and passion that you have in your life is the thing that drives you. Make it the passion of Jesus to drive you in this world. Not only that, they also had faith. Think about this. They believe Jesus is the answer to this man's issue. <clears throat> and let it be known, I said it so many times today, that Jesus is the answer to your issue. You have to have that faith. But also your brothers and your sisters, your loved ones, you have to have the faith to know that you've you got to bring these people to Jesus. You, not the pastor, not the counselor, not the psychologist. Bring them to Jesus. Because he's the answer. 
These men had that. They said, we need to bring this man to Jesus. And then, I want you to think about their determination. They were determined. Nothing is going to stop them to bring this man to Jesus. Nothing. How many times is it that you wanted to share that gospel to one of your friends and they put you off? How determined are you to push through those barriers? Because it is good for them. It is good for them to come to Jesus. So these men, with compassion and with faith and with determination, walk through the crowds, come to the door. They thought they were just going to walk through the door, but others has gone before them. And the previous verse says that when they came there, the door was blocked so much so that people couldn't even sit there. But just think of the hunger, brother and sister, of those people filling that spaces just to hear the Master's voice. And these men, in those days, the houses, you walk on the sideways up. I wasn't there. I read about this. But you go, it's a flat roof. And they started pulling away everything on the roof. Now Jesus sitting downstairs teaching the people, unaware of what's going on there. The people are so transfixed upon Him and the message that He preached. We've learned previously that when He speaks, the people were amazed. The Bible says their jaw dropped about the authority with which He spoke, unaware of what's going on. You see, love, love, brother and sister, is not an emotion. Love is a choice. And within love, you've got compassion. And these men chose to show their love towards this man. And what did they do? They went up on that roof and they started pulling it all apart for this friend. Did that man deserve it? Come on, you tell me. The paralytic man. Did he deserve what they did for him? No. Did he pay them? He says, nowhere there. Well, where could he get the money to pay these men? You know what these men had in their hearts? I didn't put it in there, but they do have it. They had grace in their hearts. They operated in grace. He didn't deserve it, but they gave it to him anyway to bring him to Jesus. And now they pull apart that rooftop to get this man to Jesus. But I want you to think about a paralyzed man for a minute. Last week, if we take a vocal view of this, a focused view of this, and see what this represents. Last week we had the leprous man. He stinks, he's rotten, and he's hurt, and he's separate from people. And that's what sin do. That's what sin do. And here we have the paralyzed man. Think about this, that sin paralyzes. Sin paralyzes you to do a lot of things in your life. It limits your progress. You can't move. But hold on to that thought. As these men break through, I want to think about a friend. In Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17, the Bible says a friend laughs at all times. Everybody say all times. What does all mean? It means all times. A friend laughs at all times. Not only when everything goes well. Not only when you hear the favorable things in your life. It always laughs. When a friend hurts you, you still love him because it says a friend laughs at all times. And I come back to the definition, love is not an emotion. I find so many times people say, oh, I fell out of love. What? Say that again. I fell out of love. So 
To be able to fall out of love, you have to fall into love. So love is something you fall in and out of. How does that work? You better watch out, otherwise your foot trip and you fall out of love. Doesn't work that way. Love is a choice. I choose not to love this woman anymore. I choose not to love this man anymore. And if I make that decision, then I'm going to see all their faults. I choose not to love these friends anymore. And if I, do, and if I choose that, I'm going to see all of their faults and nothing beautiful. But you know the opposite is true because if I choose to love this person, then what's going to happen? I am still going to see their faults, but I'm going to work with them. And I'm going to be acceptable. And it works both ways. See, a friend loves at all times. That's how it binds together. And a brother is born for adversary. Adversary. Proverbs 18.24 A man who has a friend must himself be friendly. Isn't that so true? Isn't that so true? People tell you, I want to make a friend, but geez, you're not friendly. People don't want to be around you. Old grumpy wants to make a friend. How does that work? The Bible is so true in this. He says, a man who has a friend must himself be friendly. But, sharp contrast, there is a friend who stick closer than a brother. We had four of these men. Four of these men who stuck close to this paralytic man. And they walked all the way to Jesus. They brought him to the best place he could be. Now let's focus a little bit on this paralytic. If we focused on the four men, we saw they had compassion, they had faith and determination. But let's focus on him for a minute. Did he ask them to bring him to Jesus? We don't know. Did he lie there and he called his four friends and says, can you please take me to Jesus? We don't know. But what can we see of this man? We can see a need. He had a terrible need in his life. He was paralyzed. He can't move by himself and he had to ask to be moved. I can just think if the helpers come and put him down there, that's where he stays for hours. For hours before he can move. Have you been in that position? Where it feels that you are trapped, you can't move, you can't breathe in the situation that you are. That's similar to this paralytic man. He had a real need in his life. He had faith. <clears throat> they believed that Jesus is the answer, but maybe this man was lying there and he heard the account of Jesus coming. Remember the Bible said in the previous verses that his fame spread wide. He was healing a lot of people. This man lying there said, maybe perhaps when I get to Jesus, he can touch me. Do you think that's a good idea? Maybe he had the faith to call his friends together, but then also the de determination. Nothing is going to stop him to come to Jesus. And then we see the compassion of these four men. They had faith and determination. He had the same. Think about this paralytic man. In verse 5 he says, When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Listen to this. These men let him down. What is his problem? His problem is he's paralyzed. Everybody walks past him and see that he's paralyzed. And here Jesus do an interesting thing. He says, your sins are you forgiven. 
He didn't heal the man. He didn't heal the man. He didn't come what they asked for. You see, when I started preaching, I said, God's plan is not our plan. <clears throat> what we sometimes want is not what is good for us. But God knows. In their day, what they started to believe from the Old Testament is if somebody was paralyzed, he was a sinner or somebody in his family sinned. Not only was this man lying there, hoping of other people, but he had the stigma hanging around him of sin. The Pharisees walked around and they believed that the paralysis was caused because of a sin that either his parents committed or he. That's what they believed. So as they walked past him, they go, oh, the poor paralyzed man, you sinner. You deserve everything you've got. What sin did he compare? Oh, we don't know. But we were told by our rabbis and through traditions of the fathers that if you are in this condition, you sinned. And you deserve everything of that stigma upon him. And this is what I come back to, brother and sister. And this is when we talk about the leper. We talk about what sin does. It's rotten. It's stinking. You don't want to come up here and testify about all of the sin that you committed, do you? But this is the same that paralyzing you need. Paralyze. Sin paralyzes you. When this man came down, Jesus said to him, he looked beyond his physical needs. He looked in, into his heart and he said, your sins are you forgiven. In Isaiah chapter 38 verse 17, I like this verse. I want to spend a minute on this. He says, indeed, it was for my own peace. This is Ezekiah. Ezekiah, you need to go and read it. I'm just parachuting into this chapter. But, uh, but, but um, the prophet says, indeed, it was for my own peace that I had great bitterness. But you have lovingly delivered my soul from the pit of corruption, for you have cast all my sin behind your back. Look at this. He says, it was for my own peace that I had great bitterness. This man was lying there, and he had great bitterness for healing of his body. But not only that, he must have been lying there wondering, why did one of my parents sin and I have to carry this burden? Remember the blind man? When Jesus came to the blind man and his disciples said, Lord, who sinned this man or his parents that he's blind from birth? What did Jesus say? Neither him nor his parents. But for such a moment as this, the Father has, has let this happen. So Jesus do this. He, he come to him and he saw through his paralysis, he saw the bigger need, the greatest need in this man was not to walk again, but to have forgiveness of his sin. And that is all of us. Our greatest need is to have forgiveness for our sin. Now let's finish the narrative. He says in verse 6, And for some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. You need the scribes was the, the lawyers of the day. They knew the scriptures. They studied it. It's them who would come and say his parents sinned, who sinned. And they say this. They say, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Why? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Who can? It's only God who can forgive sins. And who's this man? This Jesus man. Yeah, let's have a look at Isaiah 43. He says, 
You have bought me no sweet cane with money, nor have you satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices, Isaiah speaking to the nation, but you have burdened me with your sin. So this is what the scribe says, this man is a sinner. And he's done all of that, and he deserves all of that. Same what the prophet says. You bought me no sweet cane with money, you, you, you have, nor have you satisfied me with your fat of your sacrifices, but you've burdened me with your sins. That's all of us. With your sins, you have wearied me with your iniquities. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgression for my own sake, and I will not remember your sin. Think about that. This is a prophecy from the Lord to the people. He says all of these things happen, but I, even I, who blots out your transgressions, for whose sake? For His own sake. For my own sake. The Lord blotted out, He forgive this man his sins for His own sake. And I will not remember your sins. How good is that? He will not forgive, He will not remember your sins he will not remember them oh but i did something six months ago i know i know what your conscience do with us you know what your conscience do there you are waking up one morning and you feel all good and everything and just a thought came back about something that you did five years ago oh the guilt oh i wonder if i'm a christian i wonder if i'm saved what does the Bible say? Come on, what does the Bible say? Does he remember that? If you've come to the cross, he's washed it away. Who comes and reminds you of that? The enemy. The evil one. He comes and he reminds you. And who else? He uses agents. Who are those agents? Other people. Because not only did, did you not forget about it, but they also didn't forget about it. Is that right? Who are you to tell us this because you've done that? This is why Jesus says that a prophet will not be recognized in his own country. Why? Because they know the history, but they don't know the forgiveness. And you are telling them about the forgiveness, but they will much rather hang on to your history than accept the new man. That, listen, it's not, nothing to do with you. It is because it shows in them that their lives are corrupted. That we want to hold on to the old things that is dirty, rotten, and stink. The leprosy and the paralysis. But they don't want to hear about the forgiveness. Brothers and sisters, if you've come to the cross, you've left those things, He says it to you there that it's forgiven, and He doesn't remember it. You're forgiven and you walk in the new man. What do you do when those memories come up? You do what Jesus did when He was tempted in the, in, in the wilderness. What did He do? He said, it is written. It is written. And you should have your Bible out now. You should make a mark now about this verse. That every single time when the enemy comes to you and call up your memory and try to hit you with a guilt trip, you say to him, you say, I want to tell you it is written in Isaiah chapter 43 verse 25 that he has forgiven me my transgressions for his own sake and he will not remember. Thus I will not feel guilty about it any longer. Amen. So uh, they brought this man, and, and these men said, Who can forgive sins but God alone? 
But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus with himself, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are you forgiven, or to say, Arise and take your bed and walk? Oh, I love it when Jesus talks with these men. They think they are so clever. Oh, they think. Was it a hard thing to, 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 to heal a paralytic man? Was it a hard thing? Of course it is. It's a miracle. You know, to say to somebody who's paralyzed there and say, look, stand up and walk, take your bed and walk. And he goes to them, what is more difficult? To forgive somebody their sins. Why was it more difficult for them? Because only God can do it. They said it themselves. And Jesus comes and he put it on the same plane. He says, what is more difficult? To say to the man, your sins are you forgiven? Oh, no, no, that's so difficult. Only God can do it. Or to say to a man, you, you, you are healed from your, your, paral, you know, your, your sickness. Oh no, that is a difficult thing to do. Jesus says, no, it's not. You see, because he's got power over sin and over sickness. He says that there, look at verse 10. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on the earth to forgive sin. This is why he showed them this. The Son of Man. You see, again, I'm going to bring you back. I know some of you know this because I preach and I highlight it so many times. What does that title mean? It is from the earth reaching out to heaven. Jesus Christ came to earth, and that's why he calls himself the Son of Man. So he says, the Son of Man who came to earth. Because they said only God up there could forgive sin. They were pointing only God. We need God to forgive this man his sin. Who are you? He uses the right title. He says the Son of Man, the one who came from God who is now here, me, Jesus, has got power on the earth. Oh, but they were so blinded. Does it make sense to you in this place today? Well, if you say yes, then you are way more clever than the scribes back in those days. He said it to them plainly. But they couldn't understand it. Why? Because they were still holding on to the past. They didn't come to the forgiveness which is in Christ to walk in the future, in the new man. And here he says it there, the Son of Man who came down has power on the earth to do what? To forgive sins. This is his message he came. This is what the angel said to, to Mary. What did he say to her? You shall bear a child and his name shall be Jesus for he will take away the sin of his people. But they were blinded. He said to the paralytic, now just for a good measure. And, and this is it. When he said to the man when he came down, your sins are you forgiven, he was still paralyzed. And I wonder, I just wonder what went through those four men's minds. Those four men who brought him all the way. They had such a high expectation of what Jesus is going to do. They were expecting that he was going to touch him and he's going to walk. And then in those moments when this whole thing happens, Jesus just says to him, your sins are you forgiven, and there he still lies. And you know what it is? It is the expectation and it's reality and what lies between the two of those. Disappointment. Disappointment. And I think they stand there and go, what now? We've got to carry this guy all the way back. Well, he senses he's forgiven, but we have to carry him all the way. I'm, I'm, I'm just putting into the narrative. I, I know I'm reading into that. But we follow the scripture that he turned to this man now 
And he says in verse 11, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. And immediately he arose, took up his bed and went in, in, uh, out of the presence of them all. So that all were amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. When I started preaching today, didn't I say, didn't I build you up and say, I'm going I'm to read you something so amazing, so amazing, so wonderful. Jesus Christ has got power over sin. Listen to me. He's got power over your sin. It doesn't matter how big it is. He's got power over my sin. And He forgives sin. <coughs> so, why don't you and I this morning show compassion? Fritz, can you call me on Monday? Just show compassion. You know, I like that, that song that I tried to sing last week. He had compassion on me. He had compassion on me. He touched my feet and now I walk. He touched my eyes. And I, I messed it up again. Let me sing it again. I had, he had compassion on me. He touched my eyes and now I can see. He touched my feet and now I walk in His way. He had compassion on me. You see, my dear friend, he had compassion on us, but we also need to have compassion on others. Have you? Have you got compassion on other people, even if they do you wrong? Remember what love is. Love is a choice. Jesus Christ came to this world. What does the Bible say in John chapter 3, 16? For he loved the world, isn't it? He made a choice, even though the world don't love him. He still choose to love the world, even today. Even though the world turned their back on him, even they spat on him, even they use his name in vain, he still have compassion on them. I know, I know the vilest sinner, the darkest person who sit in jail can call on him and he will have compassion. Now the question is, do you have compassion? Do I have compassion? Do we have compassion for our brothers and sisters? And then, why don't we show faith in Jesus? Why don't we bring our issues to Him? Anything you have in your life, bring it to Him. And be determined. Why don't, why don't we be determined today to come to Jesus? And to bring our friends to Jesus. Amen? Have you ever saw the paralyzed man like that this morning? Come to Him because He is the answer. Where shall we go? Where shall we go? There in John, I think it's John chapter 7, when the crowds come and he said to them, you will drink my blood and you will eat my flesh. And you know what they say? The word is too hard for us. And they turned away and walked away from him. And then he turned to Peter and to the disciples. And he said to them, do you also want to go? And you know what Peter said to him? He said, Lord, where shall we go? You have the words of life. You have the words of life. So he is the answer this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> I thank you this morning for your word. Your word is powerful, Lord. It's living. We thank you, Lord, that this morning we understand that Jesus has power over sin. And if we want that sin to be taken away, we have to come to the power maker, the power source. And his name is Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, 
We thank you that Jesus came and he died for us. And this morning we want to have faith in him. We want to have compassion, Lord.